Welcome to the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast, mythology mashups and odd apologues for young audiences. I am your host, Amanda Louise, moving you through the realms of malicious monsters, meritorious heroes, through the practice of real and imagined magic, shining a light into the darkness and conjuring something meaningful out of chaos. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. We're on chapter 5 of The Viking and the Princess. Today is Thursday, December 12th, 2019. I'm going to recap the events leading up to chapter 5. Akeda, who's a Viking, whose name means sacrifice, has been tasked by the gods of Asgard to find a compass, once belonging to his father's but now supposedly in the possession of an Atlantean princess. Moiety's our princess, and her name means half of a whole, and she is determined not to be rescued. So far, Akeda has rescued Moiety from a narcissistic ocean troll, misandrist man-hating mermaids, and depending on who you ask, the North Wind. Moiety is now completely over her head with an ancient evil that has taken on the form of an orca-sized chameleon. The chameleon is in the process of removing Moiety's heart of flesh and replacing it with an eternal mechanical heart. Akeda will not be able to defeat this monster on his own. Fortunately, he meets a 10,000-year-old glowworm child. The child is teaching him how to walk on water by hearing the songs that the stars are singing about the patience of love. We return to our story where Ikeda is standing on top of water, listening to the universal sound. And our quote for this chapter is from G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. light music grew heavier. The Viking thought he could smell bread baking, or maybe it was lamb meat roasting. And then he realized it was neither. The music had grown so real that he could smell it too. It smelled like a childhood memory. It smelled like home, if home was more of a home than home had been, like the happiness of a deeply rooted family during a winter solstice festival. It smelled good. The Viking plunged his hands through the water's surface and pulled his body underneath. The glowworms moved in a cloud of current like floating lanterns under the water. Every light was unique and beautiful, a note in the universal sound. Their silk trailed behind them, echoing reverberations in the flow. Akeda floundered and gasped, but then found it easy to breathe in the water. It was as if he was not breathing on his own, but was part of a breathing organism. She is here at the womb of stars. She is the ancient red dragon poised to consume the child of the laboring woman clothed in the sun. Stars are songs and lies are discordant interruptions and song reverberations. The princess is here. She has brought her heart with her. She has already swept a third of the stars from the sky. Akeda could hear the soundless voices of the shining, viscid children around him like thoughts bubbling up in his own mind. Who is she? Who is the red dragon? Akeda wondered to himself, and in unison, 
The voices rolled into his head like rushing water. The void, the nothing, the always winter and never Christmas, the waterless places, the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Viking heard all this and comprehended in a moment's breath. She is the fire that is never satisfied with wood, the ground that is never satisfied with water, the eye that is never satisfied with seeing, the spirit who is never satisfied with being, and then in unison, the consumer. What does she consume? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The Viking felt a tremor of horror in his spine despite his lack of understanding of the implications of this idea. The current was winding through an open kelp forest. Great green stipes rose to the surface like giant beanstalks, anchored and buoyant, while the sandy white bottom rolled ever on like a submerged desert. The children and the Vikings swirled round and round, up and over the kelp, passing seals, rockfish, and even a gray whale hiding from a killer whale, until they stopped by a round wooden door lying exposed in the drifting sand. Ikeda grasped it by its heavy metal handle and hoisted it open. He could see a stone stairway. It was lit with torches and spiraled steeply down into the earth. Ikeda had to pull himself through the water's surface tension into the tunnel with the same force that he used to enter the water. It was not difficult, just surprising. A cold thermocline blasted Ikeda in the chest. Ikeda was not at the top of a stairway. He was at the bottom of a stairway, sitting on top of the water, the base of a deep well. Moiety was lying without defense at the threshold of the enemy, and the enemy had exposed her. The chameleon was crouched in detached, cold blood at her feet. Her belly dragged the ground. Her eyes moved. They darted and bounced in the dim like red dice on a green casino table. Her sides heaved, and like blacksmith bellows, they blew heated air into the acrid night. Simoom, Simoom, Simoom. Her dry inhalations and exhalations chanted, and with this sound, a fecund horde of biologically mechanized bloodless birds and lizards swarmed into the chameleon's clearing. They rattled and rasped, advancing in rank. A life that is half a life is ever so dead a life. They swarmed over the princess's flesh and pulled her to the inside of the dead tree. The chameleon's outer layer of skin was growing whiter and lighter, a filmy transparency. She was growing. It seemed to Akeda that he had been climbing the stairs for hours. They were vaguely lit by an unseen source that seemed to be coming from somewhere above. At first, the steps had been close together, and then they became further apart from each other so that he had to jump from step to step. The steps were now so far apart that he was having to pull himself up onto each step with outstretched arms. He hoped he was nearing the top. The light was growing brighter as he climbed. Akeda had to leap to grab the next step and pull himself up on its ledge without the aid of his feet touching something solid. The next step was almost too high to reach even by jumping. 
He scrambled to reach it and thought he would have to turn back. But as he pulled himself up on this next level, the ground became a straight and level path. Akeda thought he must be near the surface now. The stone-lined walls of the tunnels had gradually changed into a root system. These roots were not an organic tangled mass clinging to the earth with gripping fibers, but were knitted in an organized pattern. Now that the light was brighter, the Viking could make out intricate loops of root looped into other loops, making an organized system of cables. Akeda thought that the tree itself from which the roots had sprouted must be a skilled weaver, for the entire length of the passageway was adorned with this intelligent design. And here also, blinking thoughtfully, was the source of the light. The eye filled the height and width of the passageway. The one eye contained three dark round pupils, each of the same size as its sister's. It was lit from the inside like a lamp, giving its three irises the reverential glow of stained glass. You are in my path, Okada stated. Yes, the eye agreed. If your path is already clear, you are on someone else's path. How do I get past you? By not being in the past. I am, of course, living in the present. Just because your body occupies a certain space and time does not mean that you are there. I am, of course, where my feet are. Are you? Akeda could see his own face reflected three times in the triune pupil. The first pupil reflected him as a child, holding a blanket woven for him by the mother he never knew. His aunts were delighting in the labor of agreeing on the various facets of her peculiarities and failure to conform to their expectations, enjoying every unflattering agreement in their discussion like tasty morsels. Akeda could see that the lonely boy felt a heavy fire of sadness pressing down on him. The second pupil reflected his face as it was, streaked in dirt and determination. His eyes were tired, and his beard was a bit grayer than he had thought it had been. The third pupil, in the center of the other two, showed his face covered in blood and wearing a crown. Who are you? Akeda asked. We are past, present, and promise, the eye replied. Together we are called vision. You must go through me to get your compass. The eye was not menacing, but it was obviously dangerous. Come closer and drop your guard, the eye commanded. The eye caused that which it commanded. Akeda dropped his guard and realized that he always had been perfectly loved, even when he had felt abandoned and even when he had relished killing his enemies. Every breath had been graciously supplied as a gift. Come closer, Vision insisted. Akeda was so close to the third pupil that he could see past the end of his nose. His bloody reflection met his gaze. Akeda could see a crown encircling his head. It was made of grapevine, heavily laden with fruit. It had roots. The roots were buried in the blood draining from his scalp, obtaining their sustenance from his lifeblood. To obtain freedom, you must be willing to release your slavery, the pupil called present said. What fool would hold on to slavery, Akeda wondered. Slavery offers many benefits to slaves, Past replied, not the least of which is that the slave has no responsibility for his actions. 
Anything you do, but do not want to do, has mastery over you. But what about duty? What about duty? asked Promise, with an omnivorous attentiveness to any challenge. Ask past where lie the headwaters of the river of duty. Past has a chronological snobbery, said Present. She loves dusty old books. There is nothing that puts life into new ideas quite like the wisdom of the past, explained Past. Without the anchoring wisdom of the past, the ideas of the present are at best like a wave at sea tossed and blown by the wind, said Promise, and at worst, if allowed to reach reproductive maturity, will certainly give birth to death. Present chimed in. Morality cannot be capriciously determined, because when goodness is stripped away, all that remains is desire, and desire is only measured by its intensity. Past agreed. This is why the first order of business for any tyrant is to separate a generation from the wisdom of past generations, whether it be by burning books or by drowning out truth with a flood of misinformation, the end result is the same. The child is isolated from the values of the great-grandparents, and the wisdom of the ages is restricted. The wisdom of the present is only the wisdom of a brief desire as it corresponds to immediate gratification. She who holds the access to wisdom has the power to mold the generation, promise to promise. Past's pupils shown, it is well when the wisdom of the day is grown out organically from naturally selected surviving wisdom of the ages. For when lies transgress the land, the remnant of humanity may escape, but only as if by fire, said present, only the light that is inside of you has the power to push back the darkness that surrounds you. And so I ask you, Akeda, concluded Promise, what about duty? You desire to do your duty, and well, you should, having been charged by the gods. For what God demands, he provides the joy to do so. But mark well when you desire to do evil, for the gods will not go with you. They are not such slaves as to descend to earth to help you scratch your crevices. The light inside a vision was nearly blinding. Akeda could see nothing else. Vision was expanding. She expanded to surround the Viking, and as he was inside of her, he heard three voices say, I am the ability to understand what a concept means when it is carried out to its logical conclusion. I send my spirit ahead of me to accomplish what I desire. I am the speed at which light becomes time. When Akeda came out the other side of vision, the tunnel was unchanged. It was still dark and lined with woven roots, but Akeda could see through it on his own now. The eye itself was gone, but Akeda now understood that vision is like the sun. It is a light, but more completely, it is also the light by which all things are seen. He knew what the ancient proverb meant in saying, without a vision, the people perish. It means that vision is the light of the eye, that is the light of the body, and that light without which the whole body becomes dark. As Akeda traveled on, the nauseating smell of skin sloth began to plier its way into his nose again. The rotten ecdesis had soaked itself into the tunnel walls. The walls were no longer a knitted network of root loops. They had morphed into rough, lined, dry wood. Akeda was inside a tree. This part of the tree must be dead, he thought, and pushed on with the light of vision. 
A sinister red light smoldered ahead. Akeda was getting close, but to what, he did not know. Thank you for listening to this Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. This is an original story by Amanda Louise Van Stratum. All rights reserved. For more original stories and poetry, including links to purchase text copies of my books, please visit me at sunshinesatellite.com. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving me a review and rating in the comments section. I hope to hear from you soon.